0: Psalm 114 reads as follows. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became God's sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams and his hills like lambs. Why is it, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into pools of water and the flint into a spring of water. And this is the word of the Lord for the people of God. God. This is such a powerful scripture, and there's so much we can take away from this passage. We understand the story of the Israelites We understand that the Israelites came to a point where they were enslaved for 400 years and then Moses steps onto the scene and Aaron steps onto the scene and there's this great dramatic play that kind of works out as the 10 plagues unfold and it's just this huge picture, it's just incredible to read. And finally, something happens. The one thing that happens that everybody's hoping for is that Israel will be delivered and we see as they exit and there's this, they, they're given the gold, their masters are given, I mean the slaves receive the gold from the masters, they head towards the Red Sea, the sea divides, it opens up, they cross over and there is deliverance and it's a most impressive and incredible picture that we read. Now the thing we need to be careful of at this point is that we can stop at that point of the story and say, wow, that's great, that's incredible, that's fantastic, but that's not the end of the story. That is actually only the beginning of the story. Think about it for a second. If we consider the fact that the Israelites were set free, were they set free purely to stop being slaves in Egypt and to be just to kind of leave? We could stop right there. We could say it's fantastic and movies have been written and Basically, produced in Hollywood, and plays have been performed about being set free. And it usually ends at the point of deliverance when Israel leaves that well, their slavery and they leave Egypt. But as I said before, that is not the end, that's actually just the beginning of the story. They then journey throughout the desert. There's 40 years in the desert, and there's a lot we can talk about with that. They then journey into the promised land. But ultimately, we can go back to Genesis chapter 12, where the Bible tells us that the purpose of Israel was to become a people of God that would bless the nations. Deliverance from Egypt was just the first step in many steps. As we as a church consider our future, we can easily stop and say, we had this fantastic time last week. We had a launch for nine months. We've been working up towards this. And I mean, we worked hard. We did so much. And I want to tell you, it was a really, really good, good day. Last, last, year, last week was fantastic. We had a fantastic time. I've got messages that I want to share with you about people that were incredibly blessed. Um, just so much warmth. The feedback was fantastic. People were really happy and excited about what happened. But what we've got to be careful of is that we haven't just, it's not the end. This is not the start. Not the, this is not the end of our journey. This is the start of our journey. We've got a lot more to do as we move forward. It's kind of like even when people find salvation. A lot of the time we get to the place when people get saved or they get to know Christ. They come to the point where you say, you now have made a decision to follow the Lord. You've made a decision to step into the faith. And we celebrate But that's not the end. That's the beginning of the journey. That is an ongoing journey. We come to the place of justification, and then we continue in sanctification until final justification. That's who we are. It's almost, in a way, it's kind of ludicrous. Think of an athlete. Maybe an athlete stops and decides to train. Their idea of training is, I want to be in that race. I want to qualify. And they go through all the qualifying events and all these things are taking place. They are getting up at five every morning, four in the morning, going to bed late, training two times a day, three times a day. They're, they're, they're eating only what they have to eat. You know, all the stuff that's not fun, they're eating. All the stuff that's fun, they're not eating. We know the story. As you get older, you know the difference very, very quickly. But it, it's just training and discipline. But they don't do it so that they get to the the race. They finally make it to that race and they get to the start line. And as the gun goes off, they step over the the, the start line and say, We did it. We got here. It's fantastic. We can go home now. The spiritual walk and the, the journey that we're in is one that we start and we've got to continue with this thing. And this passage of Scripture in Psalm 114 has some great keys for us. In 1 Corinthians 9, chapter 24, Paul speaks. He says, do do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? And he's got this great word, run in such a way that you may win it. We as a church need to run in such a way that we might achieve all that God wants us to achieve. But how can we run in such a way? And I believe Psalm 114 has got some of those keys for us. Some of the things we realize when we look at the journey of the Israelites as they leave Egypt and they head towards the promised land is that they have a lot of challenges. I think we, need, we know this. If you've been saved for more than about three to four minutes, you know that you will have challenges of some kind. If you've decided somewhere along the line, this is the, the strangest thing we realize, we think that I'm going to make a decision for God. And when I make that decision for God, all my problems are finished. Who knows that it's almost like somehow there is a demon in hell that kind of awakens when you decide to follow Jesus. I don't know what it is. It's like, Jesus gets baptized, receives the Spirit of God, and then He's in the desert. We find ourselves saying, I'm going to make a decision for Jesus, but somehow spiritually we awaken to our own inferiorities, our own sense of insecurities, our own frailty, our own sinfulness, and where we thought to ourselves, hey, I've made this great decision. Some we realize, oh, I've got such a long way to go. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but that's fine. Pray for me. The point is that when you're in a journey, it's not like it's you don't start and it all becomes easier. The Israelites don't cross the Red Sea, and as they cross the sea, they get to the other side and they go, We're free, it's all fine, it's fantastic, life is good. We're we have no water, the water is bitter. Uh, we didn't come to the desert for this, we didn't leave Egypt so that we could die. Most, I mean, have you heard? I don't know if you've ever heard that if you read the scripture. You know, did you deliver us from Egypt that we might die in the desert? Does that sound familiar? Have you heard the whole thing? It's like, we want to go back to Egypt for the onions and the leeks. It's better than what we have here because we don't have everything here. Because they're on a journey, but as we journey together, there are going to be challenges. As we journey as a church, there will be challenges, but how do we overcome those challenges and find ourselves moving to the other side? As a church, we too will have battles that we need to fight and challenges we need to overcome, but we need to position ourselves in such a way that we will move through those victorious and in the Spirit of God. Let me draw your attention to the passage of Scripture. There's two here, and one of them you'll see I I read last week as well. In Psalm 114, verses 3 to 6, the sea looked and fled. There was a sea, there was a barrier, there was a problem. But when the sea kind of saw the Israelites coming, it fled. Why? The Jordan turned back. Why? The mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. And then the psalmist asked this question, why would these things actually happen? Why is it and how is it possible that this nation can journey and all these miraculous things happen? How is it possible that the sea flees before them, the Jordan turns back, and the mountains skip like rams, and the hills like lambs? How is that possible? In Isaiah 43, the Lord says, uh, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I'm about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And then he says this, I will make a way into the wilderness and rivers in the desert. How do we as a congregation journey forwards, finding those rivers and making a way? And I believe the psalmist is very clear about that in his writings. In verse 2 he says, Judah became God's sanctuary. It became a place where God dwelt, Israel his dominion. Some people say, uh, some translations, I think uh, NLT speaks about, it became the kingdom of God. It was a place where God reigned. It was a place where God was central. The priority and the centrality of God allowed for the deliverance, the leading, and the ultimate success of Israel to journey to the promised land. Did they have setbacks? Yes. Did they have problems? Yes. Was there faithlessness? Yes. Was there unbelief? Yes. But they got where God wanted them to go by keeping God in the middle and at the center. And we need to do exactly the same thing. Have a look at this scripture in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. This is part of the journey of the Israelites. It says, And have them make me a sanctuary. Judah became God's sanctuary. Have them make me a sanctuary. What's a sanctuary? The place where God dwelt. So that I may dwell among them. In accordance with all that I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furnitures, so you shall make it. I'm not going to digress because I'm really tempted at this stage to digress. I'm not going to do that. Watch me say that and just do it. Hey, now let's not do that. A pattern. There's a pattern. As we build the church, we need to have a pattern which we use. In fact, the pattern for the Israelites there was a pattern make a sanctuary so god might dwell there there's something very key about how this whole thing came together there was the presence of god and then god comes to moses and says i want you to build the tabernacle and this is how it should look these are the dimensions this is the pattern this is what it needs to be and something very very important about it was the fact that the presence of god had to be central in everything Psalm 114, verse 7. Tremble, O earth. Why do you tremble? At the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. The presence of God was at the center of the Israelites' journey to the promised land. Let me show you something. Here's a picture. (coughs) Some of you might know this or might not know this. God was very intentional about where and how the Israelites needed to camp out. Let me tell you how we camp out. When we camp out, we find the place with the best view, that's gonna be the driest, that's gonna be the most comfortable, and that's where we put up our tents. God was very intentional. Like, What is the most interesting, striking thing about the layout of this entire campsite? In the middle is the tabernacle, because at the center of everything that happened, God had to be at the center. He was so, the pattern was so well formed that he even knew exactly where, look, the priests were right at the tabernacle. Everybody knew exactly where they were supposed to be. And at the center of everything was God, the presence of God was always at the center. Now, this is is an important concept for us to understand, all right? How do we live our lives? How does our church operate? How do we see these things happening? Well, we tend to do, instead of giving God at the center, we put God on the peripheral. So what we do is we start by saying, God, I'm actually living in this world, and I think I can let you fit in to that world. You see what we're doing? So instead of saying, God, you're in the middle, we say, God, you're on the side. We, we live in a time when Christianity and even our faith Churches become service providers. You know what I mean by service provider? Well, hatch, match, and dispatch. Some of you just, let's sink in for a second. When people get born, you can bring them to church. We'll say the magic words. Bang, done, hatched, done. We'll bless them. We'll baptize them. And when they want to get married, phone the church up, we'll marry them. And one day when life is done and it's on the way to... The by and by, we'll dispatch them again. So in other words, what we tend to do is that church becomes a place that is on the peripheral. God is something that's on the peripheral. We bring him in. There's a crisis. Got to get to church. Hey, it's Christmas. What do we do at Christmas? We go to church. AGMs. Annual annual general meetings. Christmas and Easter. The two AGMs. We have two of those. So maybe it's not AGM, but we have two of them everybody shows up why because what do you do at christmas you go to church what do you do at easter you go to church what do you do when you have a baby you take it to church make sure it's baptized what do you do when it's confirmation age we get them confirmed but what are we doing there we're not starting with god at the center we've brought ourselves into the center and we've decided that god will bring him in whenever we need him in that's not helping us god always has to be in the center of our lives he has to be at the center of our church Everything about us has to have God at the center. I want you to look at this for a second, and I'll unpack this just a little bit more. In Numbers chapter 2, verse 2, the Israelites shall camp each in their respective regiments. We saw exactly what that looks like. Under and signed by their ancestral houses, so exactly where they're supposed to, under where they come from their tribes, they shall camp what? Facing the tent of meeting on every side. So think about this for a second, okay? If we say this is God and this is the presence of God for a second, where do we go? Well we position ourselves according to where God is. Wherever you are, we face God. Everything about our lives, our finances, we face God. In our marriage, we face God. In our relationships, we face God. God is at the center. You see how this looks? This is how we tend to do things, okay? It starts off, we have to face God, but what we tend to do is we tend to say, well, you know what? I think I I like this spot over here for my marriage. This is good. So I think God will go well over here. So let's put God over there, then I can be over here. Actually, you know what? I've decided... I don't like the way I'm doing my marriage at the moment. So let's move. And we're going to move that just a little bit more. And let's, let's do let's God over there now. And then I can be over here. No, that looks good. I think God is in a good proportion to where I am. And we walk around with our own personal Jesus, with all respect, saying, where should we position God in our lives today? Maybe he'll go well over here today. What are we doing? We don't start with God, we start with ourselves. Now, if you look into the scriptures and you see exactly how these Israelites used to work, it was very simple. I think it's Numbers 9. I could have that scripture there. You actually see that the way it worked is that the Israelites would stop and they'd say, Okay, at the center is God. Now we wait. What is God doing? God's not going anywhere. So what are we doing? We're not going anywhere. He's at the center. We face Him. Our tents are erected, the way facing God. Everything is about God. He's at the center. And then what would happen somewhere along the line, the cloud would move. The presence of God would move. And then He would move. And as this presence of God moved, the presence of God would then stop and it would settle on a spot. The Israelites didn't say, oh great, nice campsite, I dibs the west, I got the east, I'm in the front. Now they go, there's God. So if God is going to be there, then according to the pattern, I need to position myself here. Think about that for a second. That's an interesting way to live our lives. Do we live our lives in the same way? As God moves, we position ourselves. We move ourselves. Not according to us at the center, but God At the center very important concept for us to understand having God at the center of our lives means we start with God and it means we build from there in the New Testament we speak about in fact it comes from the Old Testament Psalm 118 the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone that concept of that cornerstone now it says this is the Lord's doing it is a marvelous in our eyes psalm 118 verse 22 to 23 it also is found in matthew 21 42 acts 4 11, ephesians 2:20, 1 peter chapter 2 6 and 8 and there are other references to it as well and this concept of the cornerstone sometimes called the capstone sometimes called the cornerstone they kind of play around with that there are two kinds of understandings of that the one is a foundational stone upon which the building was built that building needed that cornerstone that Help determine the very foundation of the building what's interesting even as the capstone it would be the last stone and in some ways we even see that reference to that cornerstone is like the beginning and the end everything about our lives is God in the beginning God in the end and we everything has to be aligned according to what God is doing we start with Jesus and everything flows from there Here is the scripture that I was speaking about just a second ago in Numbers chapter 9, 15 to 18. On the day the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the covenant. And from evening until morning, it was over the tabernacle. Having the appearance of fire, it was always so. The cloud covered it day and and the appearance of fire by night. Watch this. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, then the Israelites would do what? It's time to move on. Time to set out. God is moving. Not like, hey, God, you can't believe I just got this awesome campsite. It is so comfortable. I love it here. This is, you can't, I mean, this is it. I have not slept so well in the last three moves. This is phenomenal. I mean, in the morning, the sun comes up, catches me just right. I walk out my tent. I sit out there and I just enjoy the sun. Now, I'm not moving. Bye, cloud. They're like, no, no, time to go. The cloud is moving. We move with God. Because here's the thing. If I'm going to be in the desert, I want the presence of God. If I'm going to face the future, I want to know the cloud is with me. If I'm going to have to go through this world, if they had to go through the desert, if we as a church have to deal and continually wrestle with culture, wrestle with the challenges of this world, I want to make sure that when I'm moving, I am moving with the presence and with the power of God. I'm not saying, hey, God, I'm going this way. Why don't you come along? I'm going, God, where are you going? I'm moving with you. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the Israelites would camp. At the command of the Lord, the Israelites would set out. At the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they would remain in the camp. What it means for us very simply is this. As a people of God, we must live with a posture of humility, a posture that's continually listening. I use this word a lot, and I, I really need to sit down. We need to talk about this sometime in more depth. We need to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us. We need to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit, the wind of the Spirit. You know, when you when you when you stand, when you stand at the sea or you stand on a mountain you're not always aware that the wind is blowing. But if you stop and say, is the wind here? You go, I can feel it on my face. And you can even tell which way, but, but almost you have to be intentional because you just walk out and go, oh man, it's messing with my hair. This is a mess. What's going on? And there's somewhat disgust. But if you stop and you listen and you feel, you'll sense the movement of the spirit and something beautiful takes place in that place. We need to learn how to be humble, how to continue to listen, how to continue to discern what the will of God is and the way that God is leading us. Let's read that psalm again, even as we prepare our hearts for communion this morning. When Israel went out from Israel, the house of Jacob from the people of strange language, Judah became God's sanctuary. May Trinity Church become God's sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. May this be the kingdom of God here in this church. The sea looked and fled, the Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. May the power and the presence of God give us favor as a church, as we journey into all that God has given us, to be all that God is calling us to be, and that every obstacle that might rise before us might be leveled, we might have the favor of God. Why is it, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. May Trinity Church be a place where the presence of the Lord and the presence of God rests powerfully upon each and every one of us who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. The Lord be blessed.